everybody and welcome back to the second episode of season two. I'm here with Joseph Gonzalez. He's the movement detective helping executives around the world from his base in New York City solve their stiff body issues from the source. Aye. <laughs> Joseph's company Mejor Strength, it's already a clever hybrid name, is shaking the fitness industry to look at the root cause of problems instead of just the symptoms. So I can't wait to blow some minds today. Things that you thought actually work might not be the best solution. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Joseph. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really happy. I've been watching your stuff on LinkedIn for I think a year and a half and it really solved my issues because I've, I have to sit a lot during my work and especially that part about the forward neck is not the issue that Wow, that totally changed everything. <laughs> yep. We got to re-examine what we've known for so what we've known for so long in quotation marks. Yeah, but what I notice I'm seeing as a continuing theme is a lot of people who were in STEM before are going into different industries and completely disrupting them. I was in IT before, now I'm in language learning. You were studying mechanical engineering at MIT and became a fitness expert. So how did that happen? Uh, well, I what I like telling people is I failed my way through a lot of things before I found my current role. Um, I was always smart. I was always intelligent. And I knew that, right? But uh, at MIT, nothing really sparked interest. Like I did mechanical engineering because uh, I originally wanted to study physics. That was my first love in high school. Like I love physics hmm. problems. Like I thought like my, my physics professor was like the coolest person ever. And I realized that when I went to MIT, I dug into physics and I didn't like it. I didn't like the theoretical stuff. Like it just didn't do it for me. So I said mechanical engineering, I want something more hands-on. And mechanical engineering was the same way. Uh, even in finance, like a lot of the stuff that they gave us was very, very theoretical or hypothetical really. And, uh, it didn't really pan out. Like I didn't walk away feeling like I learned much in terms of skill. And so I left and I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. Cause at the time my best job offer was in the Midwest or be unemployed in New York city. So I said, I'm a born and bred, a born and bred New Yorker. So I was like, I'm going to go back to New York city. And I jumped around from job to job. I even worked at a comic book shop. I started training in martial arts and that's how I found my segue into fitness my second teacher at the time said, why don't you be a trainer? That way you can have more free time and then train with us more often, right? It was very selfish on his end, the recommendation. <laughs> but I did it and I discovered two things. One, I loved helping people. And two, I had a knack for teaching. Uh, a lot of people, like my first session, I came in and I'd been following a couple of physical therapists and trainers at the time. And after I got done coaching my first client, all of the other trainers in the gym had been watching me and they walked in and they said, Hey, yo, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, <laughs> this is my first session. I didn't actually decide to make this my career until a few years in where I took my first educational workshop in Indianapolis. Like I flew out there and this guy got up on stage and started talking about like breathing mechanics and how, it can cause so many issues down the line with your nervous system, with your fight or flight response. And I said, oh, okay, so there's actually some more to this stuff than just like grunting and like tensing and, and lifting all the heavy things. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. You, you never know what's gonna come up. That's a gift though. A lot of people are very 
knowledgeable, but they don't know how to explain it to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I realized that's another thing that when it came to language, like we were having the discussion uh, in, in LinkedIn messaging back and forth, like, you know, why is language so important? You have people that are very, very intellectual, but they can't convey an idea. You have people that can convey ideas, but maybe they don't have all the facts sorted out in their head. Right. And you need both. And that's the thing with a lot of what I do now is that we searched far and wide. We did anecdotal stuff. Like I've been a coach for 10 years. Right. So I can tell you what works in the weight room. I can tell you what works with clients. And then when stuff breaks down, like when stuff doesn't work out, so I was like, all right, well, why did that happen? And for a long time, I didn't have any answers. I just kind of said, it's, it's, it's you know, you're getting older, you know, stuff. stuff <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's fine when you're working at like, let's say Cruncher in your sports club. Like that's a, an okay response. But I was starting to get like executives that were coming in just because of location. And people wanted more of an answer. And it wasn't until I got injured about four years ago and no one had an answer for my issue that I found someone that could give me the answers that I wanted. And that's what completely took me into like left field. And that's when I stopped doing what everyone else was doing within the fitness industry, within the movement, the prehab rehab industry. Wow. Yeah. It's the real motivator when you got to figure out for yourself yeah. <laughs> and you have clients that demand an answer. They're like, why? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people frustrated like they've seen five or six people and they're like nobody has any idea what's going on and for me that's the pressure for for me that's kind of like oh we have a problem nobody knows how to fix this great let's let's dig in yeah right? see, see oh sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's it kind of like what raised my intellectual curiosity about it because when i was training people in the gym for fitness the first six years, it was fun. I loved it. I loved helping people. But the intellectual satisfaction wasn't there, right? Like I could almost go in and just zone out and, and do my job, right? I needed something that was going to challenge me intellectually. I needed something that was going to challenge me in a different way. And it's doing what I do now fulfills that need. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to fit both in there. Yeah. Going into your methods a little bit, it's checking your YouTube channel and most of your posts, it's the complete opposite of what we hear all the time. So some of these, you're going to be shocked, guys. It's stretching and foam rolling is a waste of time. Core strength is not important. And my personal favorite, forward head posture is not the issue. So it might be the New Yorker in you, but what gives you the courage to say the opposite of what everyone else is saying? Um... Honestly, it's the ungodly amount of reading that my mentor has forced me to do <laughs> and simply seeing what works in the gym. Like about four years ago, I had, I had a pretty bad hip injury training in Muay Thai, kickboxing. And I was mentoring under two amazing clinicians at the time. They were people that like, if you had an issue, you would fly into New York City to go see these people. And neither of them could help me. I went to go see six other specialists. I got imaging done. I had a shaman spit holy water on me. Like, I was desperate. I had hip pain for a year that developed into insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I uh, couldn't even do a push-up without almost passing out. So I was already very good at what I did in terms of, like, corrective exercise and stuff. But nothing worked. Like, all the stuff that was supposed to work didn't work. And so I met my mentor through a mutual friend. And he cleaned up my hip in six minutes, one drill. 
Whoa. And so I was like, all right, how did that work? And he says, neuroscience. And then he starts to walk away. And, like, no, 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 no. and I grabbed this six foot tall former Marine. And I said, like, can you teach me how to do that? And he said, you know, how good do you want to be? And that's when he started piling on textbooks and textbooks. And the issue that you'll see with a lot of uh, a lot of things like sit up straight, stick out your chest, all these things is that people have an incomplete set of data points. People don't know what it means to do that when it comes to the nervous system. What happens when you keep sticking out your chest day in and day out? Well, now you're shifting your weight forward, right? And I'm going to make an assumption here, but if you've ever worn a pair of heels, right, you'll know that you can't wear them for too long. Why? Because it's tilting your center of pressure forward. All the weight's now on the balls of your feet. It's not how we were designed. If you look at the architecture of the bones in our feet, the heel is massive. It's also actually pretty behind the ankle. Mm -hmm. So it's designed to be anchored. Toes, they're, they're meant for nimbleness. They're meant for movement, right? They're not meant to anchor our weight. So if we constantly stick our chest out, we're teaching ourselves that the best way to stand up is to brace and not fall. Because if you stand on your toes, you're falling forward, essentially. You have to put extra energy to not fall forward. You have to push with your quads, use your calves, tighten up your midsection. You have to do all this work. And you're just constantly walking around with a higher level of tension. Yeah, so that's true. For us, we, we said, all right, well, what does this do to the nervous system? What does this do to the body? What does this do to breathing mechanics? You can tell people to sit up straight, but at what cost, right? You can get people stronger and teach them to brace their whole body, but at what cost? You can teach people to be explosive, right? But if they never manage how to, how to deal with coordination first, right? A punch, for example. You, get, you go into like your New York sports club and you take a cardio boxing class, right? You think that after throwing one or two punches and then you could just do it faster and everything will be okay. No. If people add speed to unrefined movement, you're going to get hurt. Teach the entirety of the movement. Teach the person to feel the coordination, the timing of the mechanic. And then you can add load. Then you can add uh, stressors. Do it for longer. Do more reps. Do more weight. Do it with your eyes closed. It's another reason not to wear those torture devices. <laughs> <laughs> I hate heels. Yeah. Uh, but how do you think that always being in a learning phase has helped you? I know that I was reading one of your posts from four months ago on LinkedIn. Uh, you're talking about how there's a difference between reading to gain information or to understand. Could you explain how that that helps you when you're trying to research something for a client? Sure. So um, that's mostly taken from a book called How to Read a Book by Adler. So it is probably the most important book that I've read in my entire life. Mm. Um, for anyone currently uh, watching or listening to this, please do yourself a favor. Go buy Amazon, buy it on Kindle. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing book. And in that book, it says that most Americans are functionally illiterate. We don't know how to read. We were never taught how to read beyond a high school level. Uh, it, it goes by saying like, this is what most people do when they read or when they study or when they cram. And it's like, this is what you actually need to do. You, you need to read something a few times over. You need to read it with different lenses each time you read it. So the first time you're not even going to try to stop and understand what you don't understand. Get the big context first. Take some notes on how it's organized, not even content, how it's organized. 
go back and then read it again. Uh, and then each time you're reading it, you're looking for different things. But for what I was talking about in that post, if you're trying to read a book to understand something better, meaning something that you don't know enough about, the crime that a lot of people make is that when they read a book and they say, oh, this book is too hard, I need, I need to read something easier. If you're able to read a book and you're able to understand fully everything that's inside the book, you are not challenging yourself with the unfamiliar. You are re-inspecting something that is already known. So your problem when you read a book that's too hard, in quotation marks, is that you expected too much of yourself going into that book. You needed to understand that there was a gap between where you are and where you need to be to understand that book. And it is your responsibility to close that gap. There's a reason that you feel, quote unquote, stupid. When you're learning something new, you're supposed to feel stupid. It lets you know that you don't understand something. People say like, oh, I never, I don't like feeling stupid. But in the avoid things and that's where you get caught in a ditch because you are never able to grow beyond what you are currently and you are stuck and most people are like this it's, it's a, the fear of the unknown right we don't like things that are unfamiliar to us we have to learn to, to we have to learn how to cope with unfamiliarity and, and ambiguity because if we are afraid of those things we are never going to grow out of our patterns we are never going to grow out of our behaviors so when I'm working with a client and they're saying, like, I have this that's passed down in my in my family for whatever, it's a genetic condition, I got to go learn more about it, you know? I have to go and challenge myself, like, I don't know anything about this. Like, I don't know anyone, any, none of my clients have had this before. I have to go see what what else does this imply in terms of nervous system, in terms of movement. I have to because no one else is going to do it. Like, the reason someone comes to me is because they don't have any other anywhere else to go. Yeah, that's true. The The first step to learning is being stupid or not knowing. Yeah, 100%. You have to embrace that feeling. I'm sure your clients are very happy that they have someone to do the legwork for them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the thing is that go find it. it makes sense. Like when I explain things to them, like it makes sense. Even if they don't understand all the neuroscience, they don't understand all the movement mechanics, the physics. I I relate things to people in a way that they can understand. So a common theme is that if they're doing something and they don't know why they're doing something, I say, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, what, why do you think we're doing this, right? And then I'll ask them like, all right, cool. So what is it that you understand or what, explain to me, what do you think we're doing here? And sometimes it's how they process a task tells me more about why they're having difficulty with it. We're doing the exact same drill from like point A and point B, but in between I'll say to them, all right, you think that what we're doing is a test of strength. It's not. It's a test of sensing. The strength is irrelevant. I need you to be able to sense this. This is the key part. And when you change their focus on what they're doing, um, it allows them to feel safer because the challenge that's hard for them isn't what's supposed to be challenging. They're diverting focus away from what they should really be doing, and that's what makes it harder in the end. Mm-hmm. So I need people to understand why they're doing it, not, not at a very high level, just enough so that they can focus on what's important. Right. That's a good point. As consultants, our job is to boil down that information to help our clients understand it. But how do you feel that being bilingual has helped you to explain things in an even simpler way? Oh, it's helped a lot. I, I truly believe that people that speak multiple languages have greater critical thinking skills to an extent. Uh, I know that 
there are times where if I only were exposed to English, there is a way of framing phrases and sentences that is purely in English. Like an example, like uh, you accidentally break a table, right? It's like you could say in English, like I, I accidentally broke the table. Uh, in Spanish, you might say, um, se quebró la mesa. But you don't necessarily say like, yo quebré la mesa. You could say that, but it's both of them flow more naturally. Both of them can flow naturally, meaning there's many ways to interpret a statement, right? And that's the thing that uh, people have to understand is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to convey an idea. If someone is into numbers, then you can use numbers and graphs to explain what's going on. If they need a story or a parable, you need to relate to them characters in a story, right? There's a way of describing something, even Chinese. If you're just trying to describe something and it's a hard thing to describe in Chinese, you would say, not this, not this, not this, not this. So you would describe around the thing so that people have a better sense of what you're describing. So I think that language, uh, being better, better able to understand and view things through a different lens allows me to better communicate with my own clients. Because it's like, if English isn't their strong suit, I'm like, all right, cool. Well, how would I say this in a different way? You have to calibrate your words for the audience. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't know how to do is that they think that everyone can read their mind and know what they're trying to say. I always ask people, so what's confusing about this? Or what don't you understand? It's not for me to say, show them how smart I am. I need to know what's their stumbling block. Because what I think is difficult to understand, they may understand like that. But what I think is easy to understand, they might not understand. And that's the thing I have to break down to them. Yeah, there you go. I like the way your brain thinks down to the root causes again. Nice. <laughs> well, what will you say the difference is between being, or is there a difference between being fluent and bilingual? That's a very good question. Oh. So this is going to be completely my opinion. And mm -hmm. I, make it, I make it a point of dis distinguishing opinion and fact because of what I do. So in my opinion, being fluent, if I dropped you in the middle of a country that speaks only that language, could you survive? Could you find a job? Could you, you know, go out and, and if you're single, go on a date with someone? Could, could you survive in that scenario? Uh, could you navigate the laws and, and whatnot? Bilingual, I think... Uh, you can have some conversations, but you might not be able to be completely enveloped in that culture, in that language. There will be situations that would be awkward for you. Like if you drop me in the middle of Mexico, you give me a month, my language will change. Like I will start to sound like I was from there a little more. Because uh, I did that when, we were, when my parents would go back and we would visit our family in Mexico. And we would stay for like a month, month and a half. And my Spanish sounded very different by the time I came back. <laughs> I used to go to language events here in the city to practice my Mandarin and to practice my Spanish. I don't want to lose it. And the moment I opened my mouth, I had a, I had a woman from Colombia like snap her head around. She's like, oh, it is the Mexico. <laughs> she's like, I love your Spanish, you know, because you have people that like sometimes struggle, like for whatever reason, they didn't practice it growing up. Their parents didn't think it was that important, whatever the reason is. And they lose a bit of it. They, they, you know, it sounds like their Spanish was learned in high school or in college. 
Like it's not in them. Like there are moments where I think in Spanish. Like when I get her, you know, like like you stop it, like, <laughs> you know? it's like that's not that's not English. That's Spanish, right? Um, but it comes down to your your intimacy with the language, and it also I think it relates like how do you feel when you speak it? Like I know if I go a long time without speaking Spanish. If I were to help somebody that's lost on the subway and, and this little old lady is asking me directions in Spanish, I feel good speaking to her in Spanish. Like I like going to my deli when uh, everyone behind the counter is Mexican and I can I can order my food in, in, in Spanish and I just feel good. You know, like it's a part of your brain that isn't stimulated as much depending on where you live. And so I think that's where the fluency comes in. It's like, do you think in that language as well? Like, does it have an emotional connection to you? Yeah, that's a good point. I like it when I can order and they don't say like, oh, no, you can say it in English. When I get through it in Spanish, I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a nice feeling. But what would you say to someone who might be in your shoes? There may be a kind of like Ish Verduzco that we had a few episodes back. They're a second or third generation Latino, wherever they are. How do you blend your your homeland being an american with your mexican heritage that is a very tricky question it'll come down to your parents it'll come down to your family if you had a loving and supporting environment i think it would only be natural that you're going to connect to where they're from right uh and i think that that's that's going to be the key issue if perhaps your your upbringing wasn't quite so nice let's say, wasn't quite so pleasant, endearing, um, then it's going to be harder for you to connect. Even if, let's say, they were supportive, but you couldn't relate to your parents. They couldn't relate to you. That's a fault on mostly their part at that point, right? Um, then it's going to be really hard for you to get in touch with your roots because a lot of the way that we learn language as kids growing up is just by being immersed in it. Like, you're, you're in the home. That's all they speak. Like, my parents to this day, they don't speak a lot of English. They speak mostly Spanish, so growing up, that's why I learned Spanish as my first language. You know, I went to school in kindergarten to learn English, and then I spoke Spanish exclusively at home, right? So for me, it's very, it was very easy to do that. But I think depending on the environment, it's going to be hard for some people to be able to reconnect with that culture. Because if your memories are negative of your home and your upbringing, you're not even thinking about your cultura, your language at that point, specifically from a Spanish perspective, from a, from from that language perspective. Um, you're just thinking of like, I want to get the hell out of here, right? And you need to escape, like you're not safe. So I think it's, if people want to reconnect with their culture, I think the first thing they have to acknowledge is, well, how was it at home? And then from there, you can start asking more of yourself. It's like the, the, the hierarchy of what, what you need in life. You need food shelter and a way to generate income later much later on once you take care of those you can talk about psychological health and and self-realization right but mm -hmm. you, you take care of the basics first so uh for people that want to reconnect i would definitely recommend finding language partners if you're trying to learn spanish and let's say you grew up in chile right maybe you can connect with people specifically from chile in a bunch of these uh online applications and do video video uh video learning or like pen pals, but like, you know, with video. <laughs> um, that's how I started learning Mandarin, actually. I started learning it with uh, friends uh, or people that were living in Shanghai, Beijing, and Hong Kong. 
And so I started learning from that. And then I found out that you actually have live meetups in New York City. Of course, why wouldn't you? And that's how I started practicing my Mandarin. And then, of course, practicing my Spanish even more. Yeah, anything can happen in New York City. But that's a good reminder for the parents who are in that situation right now, raising that first generation and that first or second that's still trying to hold on to their cultura. Very good points. It's hard because as Latinos, right, uh, Mexican-American for myself, in our culture, growing up, for me at least, like mental health wasn't something that was talked about. Like it's not something that was okay. Now it's significant. Like I would, I'm, I, one of my buddies that I play Call of Duty with uh, pretty consistently, you know, he's told the whole group that he's he's uh, he's on meds for for depression, right? He's going to see a therapist, and I thought that was amazing. I thought it was amazing that he felt comfortable enough to talk about those things. Like it's it's this generation now that are, that are having kids, like my generation. Like I'm 36. Um, we need to be able to confront ourselves and and talk about and work through our, our mental health because it's something that was denied or, or considered taboo by previous generations. So I think that if you want to get in touch with your cultura, get back in touch with yourself first so that you're able to be more ready to go back and tackle that stuff. Because if, if you're if you're struggling to get better at, at your, your Spanish um you know, it can be very frustrating. And if you have other triggers going on because of whatever whatever your past was, it can make that learning much more difficult. Mm -hmm. That's true. Thank you so much, Joseph. I don't want to take a lot of your time today, but if someone wants to reach out to you for more wisdom, where can they find you? Uh, so they can find me on my website, www.mejorstrength.com. And if you look on uh, contact, it has my YouTube, my Instagram, my Okay, so you're everywhere. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> Thanks again, Joseph, and we'll see you next time.